Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to be here this Sabbath. What a privilege it is to be called your child and to have your word and to read the encouragement that you give to us. And Father, we just pray that this morning that as we study the Bible together, that your spirit would speak to our hearts and our minds. That Lord, you would give us understanding of your word that would speak directly to the different places where we are in life. Father, we need your spirit to intercede and to guide as we look through this. And so we pray that you would bless and that you would draw us nearer to you and encourage our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the third part of the message series that we started a couple weeks ago of how to have a new start in the Christian life. I hope you remember we've been discussing that a little bit. And two weeks ago, we looked at the story of Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son. Do you guys remember that story? And we looked at the story, and what we found through that study was that God is a God who longs to give us second chances. Do you remember looking at that? And not only does God long to give us second chances, but God longs to transform our lives. And we looked through the stories of some of the apostles. We looked at the story of David, who was king and fell into sin, and the Lord restored him. We looked at Saul, who God restored and made him into Paul the Apostle. And we looked at all these different uh, glimpses of what God's power can do in the life of his people. Well, last week we looked at what is it that can prevent God's blessing from being made a reality in the life. And we saw that the Lord not only desires this to happen, but in order for it to take place in our lives, to give us a new start in him, there must be an attitude of repentance towards God, right? Remember looking at that? And we saw that unless we repent with a deep sorrow for sin and with a turning away from it, the Lord isn't able to give us the new start that he longs to give us. Now we looked at repentance as nothing that we can produce on our own. And we saw that it's truly just a gift of God. It's the Spirit who helps us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And this week we're looking at a new start, faith or feeling, And the question that we're looking at this morning is, how do you know when you have a new life in Jesus? And I believe that one of the reasons why many of us or many people get discouraged in the Christian life is because what they thought was supposed to happen never takes place. Now, I want to ask you a question for anyone who's ever gone on a diet or an exercise program. How many of you have ever given up because you didn't get the results you wanted? Anyone? You know, you read those things, and I remember watching those commercials for the perfect push-up stands and different things like that, and I looked at the guy who was doing those push-ups, and I thought, man, for $19.99, if I could look like that, you know, that would be absolutely amazing, you know? And so we start these new things, and we start going through it, but when we realize that what we expected the outcome to be doesn't happen, we begin to face discouragement in the Christian life. Well, this morning what we're going to look at is what is it that God promises the new life in Jesus not only will look like, but what will be the experience that we have when the Spirit of God is working in our lives. And we're going to attempt to do that by starting and looking at Matthew chapter 8, the the story of the centurion. Matthew chapter 8, the scripture reading is where we're beginning this morning. And we've already read through it, so it's fresh in your minds. And this is a story that we had an opportunity to talk about at the elementary school this week. So some of you young people have already heard the story, and you know some of the punchlines. So don't tell your parents, because they they won't listen anymore. So Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, we're going to look at the story one more time. Now Jesus had entered Capernaum, 
And a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. Now, I want to ask you a question as we start to analyze this story, is who is it that is coming to Jesus? What does the Bible call him? A centurion, right? Now, a centurion, is that someone who's a low-ranking official or who has some authority of that time? Authority, right? And we read later on in the story where the man says, I tell someone go, and he goes and come and he comes. I wish it was that easy in our lives today, right? But this man is one who had authority, and he comes to Jesus, and why is he coming to Jesus? What is he looking for? Healing, right? And not just for himself, but he's looking for healing for his servant. Now, are many of us looking for healing as well in our lives? You know, what's interesting to note is that the word for salvation or healing in Scripture, and you might have heard me say this before, is the word sozo in Greek, which actually means the exact same thing, salvation or healing. And so as we're reading through this story of a man who's looking for physical healing for his servant, could it be that the Lord could give us some instruction of how to have some spiritual healing or a new start or a new life in Jesus? Do you think that's a possibility? Now, we often realize that Jesus connected health and salvation when he communicated to other people that he was healed. Remember the man who was lowered through the roof by his friends, right? And they pulled the tiles off and Jesus is there. And what does Jesus say to this man first? Your sins are forgiven you, right? And then he says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Well, he doesn't say take up your bed and walk, but he says go home, you've been healed. But he has this experience of where he's first spiritually healed and then physically healed. That's all just to say that this process of spiritual healing and physical healing often coincide with how God delivers it. Now, we often realize in life too, and this is just a caveat, parentheses, that sometimes we don't realize physical healing in this life. In other words, sometimes we go through physical pain and we don't have that healing experience that we're praying for, but God always gives us spiritual healing. Would you agree with that? God never leaves anyone who's looking for a spiritual new start in discouragement, thinking that there's no possibility. So this man comes to Jesus looking for healing for his servants. Now, I want to ask a question, and this will give us the first understanding for how it is that this man was so confident that this experience was going to take place. And the question is, why did this man come to Jesus for healing? I mean, he's a centurion. He surely had some money to go to the modern-day doctors, right? Or he could have gone somewhere else to try to experience what he's looking for. But why is it that this man comes to Jesus looking for healing? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? He's seen it done before, right? You look all the way back, maybe in Matthew chapter 4 even, where it first starts, where it talks about Jesus going about all Galilee, preaching the gospel, teaching. And then healing was such a large portion of the ministry of Jesus. In other words, the reason why this man is coming to Jesus is because Jesus had a reputation. And that reputation was one of restoring those who were in need of physical restoration. Not only did he restore those in need of physical restoration, but spiritual restoration as well. And as this man saw the sickness of his servant, he thought, man, where in the world can I go? Who can help my servant? And the name of Jesus pops in his mind, and he knew that Jesus would be able to solve this problem. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is Jesus today still in the business of restoring lives? 
You see, the reason why this man was attracted to come to Jesus was because he realized that Jesus' very desire was to heal. And the very need that his friend had was to experience healing. So Jesus allowed this man or drew this man to him and the man was drawn because he knew that Jesus' desire was an exact fulfillment of what his need was. Now many of us have come to Jesus this morning and as we've talked about this experience of new life in Jesus and constantly growing, right? It's a daily process. It's not just for the pagans out in the world. But we all need this new birth experience in Jesus daily. We need to die daily, as Paul says. And as we come to Jesus, oftentimes the first doubt that arises in our mind is, is Jesus truly willing to save someone like me? How many of you have ever been tempted to think that? I know Jesus can save them and them, and that's kind of what we've talked about two weeks ago. But notice that the reason why we're attracted to Jesus And the reason why this man in the story had such assurance that God could heal his servant was because the very desire that he had for healing was the very wish that Jesus wanted to be experienced in his life. In other words, he didn't have to convince Jesus to heal him, but it was already Jesus' desire. And so when he comes to Jesus, it's not trying to coerce Jesus into healing his servant, but he was allowing Jesus to just fulfill what he already desired to do. Now, is this the attitude that we have with God when we come to the Lord in prayer? Oftentimes, when we come to pray and we ask the Lord for forgiveness, do you ever feel like you're trying to twist God's arm to get Him to forgive you? Now, maybe you might not admit having that experience, but I can look back in my life countless times, and the times that I've pleaded with God, almost pleading with Him, thinking that God didn't want to do it. But what does 1 John 1, verse 9 tell us? It says that if we confess our sins, that He's what? faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does it sound like it's God's desire to forgive our sins when we come to him, just like it was Jesus' desire to heal this man's servant when he came to Jesus? Absolutely. Notice not only does the Bible tell us that Jesus longs to forgive us, but turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. As we're looking for a new start in Jesus, oftentimes we wonder, is God really willing to give it? 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, we're reminded that once again, what gave the centurion confidence was Jesus' desire to heal. And we realize what can give us confidence today is Jesus' desire to restore us as his people. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 tells us, it says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but what? But that all should come to repentance. Now, how many of you are thankful that there are some things that God is not willing to do? And that one thing is that God is not willing that any of us should be lost. God wants all of us to experience the regenerating power of His Spirit in our lives. And so when we come to the Lord and we're asking for a new start, can we have confidence that the Lord will give it? Do we need to wonder in prayer if God is going to answer the things that we're asking? Notice one last passage along this line, Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26. One reason why we often don't experience 
the new life in Jesus is because sometimes we don't believe He wants to give it. Ezekiel chapter 36. Notice what verse 26 tells us. Actually, we'll back up to verse 25. Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 25. And this is the Lord speaking. And He says, Then I will sprinkle them with clean water, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Does this sound like something that God is willing to do? Does God desire to give us a new start, to give us a new life? In the exact same way that the Lord desired to heal the centurion's servant, Jesus desires to give us a new life in Him today. How many of you think that's good news? Amen. Amen. The Lord is desiring for us to have this new birth. Not something that we have to convince Him to do, but the only way that we can have the confidence and assurance of this new birth is knowing that Jesus longs to give it much more than we even desire to ask for it. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 8, continuing with the story. Matthew chapter 8. The centurion has come to Jesus asking for help because his friend can't do anything. He's paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And what is Jesus' response when this man shows him the need that his friend has? Matthew chapter 8 and verse 7. When Jesus hears the request, it says, And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Jesus gives us the same answer today as He gave to that centurion years ago. When we ask the Lord for healing, is He willing to do it? Did Jesus have to check His schedule first? Did Jesus have to see you know, what your 401k looked like or your social status or if you were good enough? No, the reason why Jesus helped him is because Jesus longed for him to experience restoration. And Jesus desires us to have that same spiritual restoration today. But notice what the second point is. Why is it that Jesus helps this man? What's interesting to notice, if you'll turn with me to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7 gives a similar account of this story, but adds something that I think we often try to add to our prayers. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 7 beginning in verse 1, and it says, Now when he concluded all his sayings and the hearings of the people, he entered Capernaum. This is talking of Jesus. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. This is the same story, right? But notice what these elders add to the story. And when they came to Jesus... They begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. Now this is a very interesting juxtaposition between the two stories. In Luke chapter 7, you see the men coming to Jesus on behalf of the centurion and saying, hey Jesus, you really need to help this guy. Why do they need to help him? 
well, he's really deserving. You know, he's done a lot. He's really helped our nation. He's a really good person. And Jesus, that's why you need to help this one. Now, with that thought in mind, go back to Matthew chapter 8, and let's listen to the very words of the centurion, and you're going to notice a very different attitude as to why God is helping this man. The Jews wanted Jesus to help him because they thought the man was deserving of restoration. But notice what this man says about himself. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8. Verse 7, Jesus promises to come and he says, I will come and heal him. But notice what the centurion says in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am what? Now the Jews seemed to think he was worthy. He was quite deserving, right? That's actually their own word. You know, this man deserves your help. In other words, you're indebted because of his goodness to be able to go and help his servant. But this man, when he looks at himself, and when he looks at what he's requesting Jesus to do, all that he can say is, I am unworthy. You know, oftentimes this is where Satan gets us to fall because we come to the Lord seeking for healing, right? We seek restoration. We're looking for a new start in the Christian life. But at the same time, Satan begins to bring doubts upon our minds that we are unworthy. And let me ask you a question. Are we unworthy of the Lord's help? We can say no and we can say yes all in the same one. Is there anything that I can do to deserve the Lord, to make the Lord need to help me? No, right? I can't deserve it. I'm not worthy in and of myself. The only thing that allows me to be worthy to experience restoration is the sacrifice that Christ has made on my behalf. Amen? It's not because of what I've done or what I'm not doing or what I am doing that the Lord is now enabled to work in my life. But when we come to the Lord for healing, Satan often longs for us to say, well, remember such and such in your life? Remember what you did yesterday? Remember what you just did now? Remember how corrupt you are? Remember all these difficulties and fallings in your life? Remember what you said to so-and-so? And the list goes on and on in our minds and we come to the Lord and oftentimes, it's our own unworthiness that shakes us from thinking that the Lord will not help us. But is that the case in this story? Notice what happens. This man, as he realizes Jesus longs to grant the request for healing, he admits his unworthiness, but he says, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. Now this is mind-blowing. Here's a man who understands that he is absolutely unworthy. He has nothing. He's not deserving of the help of the Lord. But yet it doesn't prevent him from asking the Lord to work on his behalf. I wonder sometimes if we allow Satan, the temptations and the doubts that we face, to hinder us from asking because we feel so unworthy. My question this morning though is, has God ever helped anyone because they were worthy? We looked at the story of David and Bathsheba, right? And here David is a lying, adulterous murderer. And does the Lord forgive him because David is worthy? No, absolutely not. You look at the story of Saul becoming Paul who has persecuted the Christians for years. And now he comes to the Lord and the Lord forgives him. Was it because Paul was worthy? You look at the story of Peter who denied his Lord in front of him when he needed him the most, and did Jesus forgive Peter because Peter was worthy? Then why would we start to think in our own lives that the Lord is going to forgive us or not forgive us based on our own worthiness? 
Satan longs for us to think that God wants to put us on this probationary period that if we're good enough, then he'll work in our lives. But if we're not good enough, then we have to continue kind of just struggling on our own until we get our act together and then the Lord helps us. But that's not what Jesus is like. When Jesus sees our unworthiness, he doesn't run and say, well, forget about you. But Jesus says, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the very first thing that allows Jesus to be able to help us is the sense of our own unworthiness. Now notice, this man had a correct view that Jesus was willing to help his friend. Even in spite of his own unworthiness, he still pleaded with the Lord. But what is it that gave him this assurance that Jesus would truly do what he says to do? Let's finish out reading the story. We'll start again in verse 8 so we get the whole feel. The centurion asked and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man under authority, having soldiers under me, And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to this one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he did what? Have you ever wondered how to shock Jesus? How to make him surprised? It's having the faith that makes him marvel. And it says, and he said to those who follow, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith. No, not even in Israel. Skip down to verse 13. Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. You know, I read this story, and you think about the faith that caused Jesus to marvel. What is it that gave the centurion such great assurance that the Lord was truly going to say what he said he would do? You see, Jesus, all that Jesus simply said is, I'll come, and this is probably what we would like more more or less today, is we want to experience Jesus in a visible, tangible way, and unless that takes place, we really don't know if Jesus is working in our lives. But this man says, I don't need to see any evidence or tangible picture that you're working in the life. Just speak the word, and I'll know that it's done. Now, this is pretty amazing, and I think this is oftentimes where we get caught up in the Christian life. Just like those exercise programs that never seem to give us the results that we want, oftentimes we experience coming into the Christian life, we say, Lord, I want a new start. I want a new heart. I want to be born again. I want to be forgiven of my sins. And we're expecting to have this overwhelming wave of emotion, knowing that the Lord has done something different, right? We're looking for a tangible change. Maybe I feel a little bit better, or my heart's a little bit happier, or there's something that's tangible that I can experience. But I want to ask you a question. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says that we walk by faith, not by what? Sight. Could it be that the reason why we're hung up in experiencing the new life in Christ is because oftentimes we're expecting God to do something He never promises by giving us these tangible evidences of His workings, when yet he tells us in order to move forward in the Christian life, right, to walk by faith, we can't rely on what we see or what we experience. How many of you have ever said that you've, you've seen your own life hindered because of what you were experiencing? Let me give you an example. In high school, I surrendered my life to the Lord for the first time that I actually knew what I was doing. 
And I remember going through that experience of coming to the Lord in prayer in the morning, and I would be pleading that the Lord would give me a new birth, a new life, and correct the things in my life. You know, I saw how sinful I was, and I began to plead with the Lord for revival. And I would get up from prayer and go on to work or go on to school or whatever else, and I would wonder, is it true that the Lord has really forgiven me? I didn't feel any better necessarily. You know, I still had the different stresses of life and things like that. I didn't feel assurance. You know, I didn't have this feeling of knowing that Jesus was right beside me. One of my friends came up to me and he said, man, you know, I know I seem really spiritual. He used to lead out in the song services for our school and stuff like that. And he said, you know, I know it seems spiritual and things like that, but whenever the music stops and the emotion is gone and things like that, I often wonder if God really is working in my life. I think of the story, too, of someone very close to me who he'd prayed for for years, asking that the Lord would work in his life. And he was desiring it as well himself. And after ten years of praying that the Lord would do something, just a year and a half ago, he started to have a revival experience. And as he was going, it was noticeable to everyone else that there was a change in his life, but he didn't see it himself. I remember him calling me after a few months, and he says, you know, I'm studying my Bible, and I'm praying, and I'm trying these things, but work, I'm still having struggles with that, and in life, you know, there's this and that going on, and I don't feel like I'm any different. And I said, well, it's very clear to the rest of us that the Lord's working in your heart, and feelings don't always determine what the Lord is doing. But because of that, he had this strong desire of feeling something different, he decided to turn back to the world and not continue in his walk with God. You know, I wonder how many of us today, if we had faith like the centurion, would see the Lord doing such great things in our lives, we wouldn't even be able to comprehend it. Oftentimes we pray, Lord, I want a new start. I want to be forgiven from sin. But we get back up thinking that God hasn't done it. We, we pray that the Lord would put a new heart within us and give us a desire to walk after his will. But what would happen if we held on to the word of God by faith and believe that what God says he is able to do. You have the story of the centurion who he's used to commanding people and he knows that his own word is powerful, right? He says, I tell my servant go that way and he goes and this way and he does that. Now, is there any question about the authority of the centurion? No, the people know, they interact with him, they realize that he's reliable then why are we questioning the very one who spoke the world into existence that the word of God is not powerful enough in our lives? If God can say, if he can speak and the waters can part, I think the Lord can speak and put a new heart in me. Do you agree? The Lord is able to speak all of these things and to hold the world in orbit with his power, but yet we doubt his word. Do you think this is Satan's desire for us? You think if Satan could just get us to doubt and be in disbelief that maybe he could conquer us because he knows that the faith that we have in Jesus' ability is the only thing that can allow us to experience the new life in him. You know, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 13 are encouraging, but they're also thought-provoking. Jesus says to the man, go your way. And it's interesting, the man doesn't wait for a visible appearance or lightning from heaven, but he goes. But this is what Jesus says. And he says, as you have what? Believed, so, or in like manner, let it be done for you. You know, Jesus pulls out a point here is that in the same way or to the measure in which this man had faith, 
is the same ability that the Lord would be able to work. Does that make sense? The proportion of his faith was proportional to the healing that this servant experienced. I wonder if the reason why we don't experience more power in Jesus is because we start to doubt his word and disbelieve that God is able to do the things he says. Well, for any of you who are discouraged, I would encourage you to remember that the Bible is true. Amen? That every word and every promise that Jesus gives is not just for your neighbor or the person sitting on the pew, but God has meant it for you. If the Lord promises a new heart, He means that He'll do it. If the Lord promises forgiveness, He means He provides it. Not tomorrow, not next year or next week, but God provides it today. And the Lord is able to do what He tells us He will do. I don't know about you, but I struggle with faith in the Christian life. It's so much easier for me to believe what I see than to believe what God says. It's so much easier to say, Lord, I want this new life experience, but when I realize the struggles that I still face, to be able to doubt and wonder if God's working. But what would the church look like today? What would your life look like? What would my life look like if we could grasp hold of the Word of God and not allow the discouragements and doubts of the devil to overwhelm us? You know, one of my favorite quotes as I was going wrestling with this issue of not feeling like Jesus was close to me or not knowing what the experience was of salvation that God was longing to give is found in Steps to Christ, page 70. And I think this clarifies the point to a large degree, and it says, A life in Christ is a life of restfulness. There may be no ecstasy of feelings, but there should be an abiding peaceful trust. You know, when I read this quote, it was like a burden lifted off my shoulders. For years, I'd been looking for this emotional experience, or I'd been looking for tangible evidence that I knew that God was close to me. Other people around might have been able to see it, but yet in my own heart, I knew myself. But yet what was clear is that God is not waiting for us to have an emotional response to prove that He's working in our lives. What the Lord is looking for us to do is take hold of His Word and believe it. When we do that, the grace of God will give peace in our hearts. And we don't have to wait any longer knowing if Jesus is with us. One of my favorite verses, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 7. I would encourage you to turn there with me. Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Such a beautiful promise. Isaiah 55 and verse 7. And here God speaks such kind words to us. And it says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and the Lord will debate about having mercy on him. Is that what it says? And the Lord will have mercy on him. And to our God, for He will abundantly pardon. The Lord desires us to have a new heart more than we desire. The Lord desires us to have spiritual revival more than we even want. Jesus is longing for us to have a new birth in Him, to walk and to live a life that looks like His, and to experience victory over the things we've struggled with. The answer doesn't come because of we're worthy, just like it didn't come for the centurion. The Lord doesn't help us based on our goodness. 
But it's because we know that Jesus is in the business of healing sinners that we can have confidence in his ability. It's as we take the Bible as it reads, as we look through the pages of Scripture and we find these precious promises, we know that the Lord is able to fulfill his word today. Satan often wants to get us to discourage. Another quote from Steps to Christ, page 53. Such a beautiful one. It says, Satan is ready to steal away the blessed assurance of God. How many of you have realized that? He desires to take every glimmer of hope and every ray of light from the soul. But you must not permit him to do this. Do not give ear to the tempter, but say, Jesus has died that I might live. He loves me and will not that I should perish. I have a compassionate Heavenly Father, and although I have abused His love through the blessings He has given me and by squandered, I will arise and go to my Father and say, I have sinned against heaven and before Thee and no longer worthy to be called Thy Son. Make me as one of Thy hired servants. The parable tells how the wanderer will be received when he was yet a great way off. His father saw him and had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. We have to fight away those temptations that Satan gives us to be discouraged. We know that the devil is a liar and the father of it. And all the words of the Bible are true. And my question this morning is what are we taking hold on to? Are we believing the lies of the devil? Or are we investing in our time in the Word of God so that our heart and our faith can be built up? You know, we need to have faith like the centurion man. And how is it that faith is grown? Romans chapter 10 tells us that faith comes by what? Hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now, is it possible for us to have increased faith without spending time in the Word of God? What do we have to anchor our faith to, right? Faith is only believing what God says is true. And this is why it's so vitally important for each one of us, for you and for me to be spending time in the Word of God, because without it, what is our hope of an assurance? But with it, we can have victory and we can have assurance that the Lord is working in powerful ways in our lives. I have a verse I want to leave you with for those of you who might be discouraged this morning. Our last verse we're going to look at is Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. There might be some of you this morning saying, Lord, I, I know you're saying all these things, but does that mean me? But notice what Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 promises. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Paul tells the church of Philippi, being confident of this very thing, that he who has what? Begun a good work in you will do what? complete it or finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. We might feel discouraged today. We don't see hope of how we can move forward. How is it that the Lord can give us victory in the Christian life? I can guarantee you that the Lord does not start a project that He can't finish. The Lord doesn't lay a foundation that He doesn't plan on doing something with. But Jesus, whatever He starts, He will finish. And this morning we can have that assurance and I would encourage you throughout this week whenever Satan tempts us to think that there's no hope for someone like me, remind him of this promise that being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. Is this your desire this morning? Lord, help my faith to grow. 
Help me to have this experience. Lord, I don't want to just believe that you're working in my heart because of the things that I'm seeing because I can't walk by sight. I have to walk by faith. How many of you say, Lord, I want my faith to be grown so that I can really trust you regardless of outward circumstances, regardless of the feelings of my own heart. I want to know that you're a God who loves and transforms and can empower me. And Lord, I know that to do that, I have to help you by rooting my faith in your word. How many of you say this morning, Lord, I need to spend time, more time in your Bible. Lord, I need to spend more time filling my minds with these things. Maybe when I'm driving, listening to it. When I'm talking to people, I need to talk about the Word of God and the hope we have in salvation. And Lord, I want to spend more time dwelling upon the blessed assurance that we have in Jesus. Is that your desire this morning? If so, I would invite you to stand with me as we sing our closing song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.